Your hosts are here, Sammy and Michelle. By the end of this podcast, you'll know them well. Adulting, navigating the journey of life. Careers to relationships, pain and strife. Put down the rule book. Rethink the status quo. If there's another direction you want to go, find purpose, passion and mastery in all that you do. With status post adulting. Hey, status post adulting fam. This is Sammy and Michelle. And you're listening to the 64th episode of Status Post Adulting, where we're going to be talking about platonic intimacy. But first, let me check in with my co-host, Michelle. How are you doing, Michelle? I'm doing really well, Sammy. How are you? I'm doing well, Michelle. It is getting warmer, which really it didn't need to get warmer because it's already pretty warm here. But I'm not going to lie, I like the new increased temperature. It has thrown me off at work a few times because my temperature comes out a little high when I go into clinic. For some reason, I really absorb the heat, but I don't feel hot. I just am. Ain't it the truth, my Sam? It is the truth. And speaking of hot people, The Bachelor. Not, I mean, okay, I did think The Current Bachelor was attractive, but it's just a show of beautiful people. Which brings us to our topic for today. Our topic is platonic intimacy. And I actually thought about it because One of our girlfriends had texted us, shout out to you, Rimple, and she was like, Gabby reminds us of us and our friends. Gabby is this girl on The Bachelor who just like is funny and has fun with all the girls. And literally, she's such a girl's girl. And you can tell she's just like enjoying the show because of all the female friendships. And we were like, yes, this is 100% us on The Bachelor. And the most exciting part is that this girl, Gabby, and another girl are actually going to both be The Bachelorette together the next season. And I have to say, being Bachelorette with my friend would be the most bomb experience of my life. I do love seeing Sammy on The Bachelor or The Bachelorette when all the men or women like become friends with each other and then afterwards they like hang out and stuff. Like, I always think I'd want to go on The Bachelor to make friends. Like, I'm like, this is so fun. You could just, like, hang out with a bunch of your girlfriends, like, in a giant mansion all day, and other people, like, take care of you. I know it's, like, probably sex in a lot of ways, but that's what I always think would be the most fun part. I agree. I know. I see them getting ready together, and I'm like, oh my god, that would be so much fun. And just, like, borrowing each other's clothes and... You, like, start talking crap about The Bachelor. You'd be like, oh my gosh, this looks so <laughs> weird, right? Doesn't he do this? This is how, this would be my villain story, I feel like. Literally. <laughs> Michelle actually hates The Bachelor. <laughs> I like him, but, like, he's kind of awkward. <laughs> Isn't it weird how we, and we'd, like, laugh and laugh and laugh together, and then we start making... <laughs> They'd be like, guess who gets the single date? Sammy. And I'd be like, oh. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> I'll see you next time, but it was really fun hanging out. <laughs> I wish I was on the group date so we could all hang out together, but it's fine. I Me, mean, it's fine. Blah, we went on a helicopter ride. <laughs> 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 but I agree with your point, Sammy. I think the platonic intimacy in the episodes are really nice. And I will say, now that we've moved out of home, I am so happy to stop watching The Bachelor because it is a black hole. Every season, mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm not going to watch. And then they do something, and then it's all this crazy stuff, and I'm like, this is so dumb, but I am so invested. This is why television is terrible. It is. It really is. It's why we don't participate usually. 
Although, are we going to watch the one with both of them together? I don't know how to feel. I mean, I have a few months to decide, so I'll be, like, pondering. We'll think about it. I mean, at this point, we don't even watch it. We just, like, watch the clips. We watch the clips, and that's, like, actually better than watching it. Way better. But onto the topic. Platonic intimacy. So what is platonic intimacy? Mm-hmm. First and foremost, it's basically your non-erotic, close friendships. A relationship you have with someone where there's no sexual or romantic interest involved. It's really just about having a very close relationship with another person. We value our platonic relationships so much. We have so many amazing people in our lives. We love to foster those relationships. We love our close friends. And so we thought it would be a great topic to dig into a little bit. That's exactly right, Michelle. As I grow up, I feel like I appreciate platonic intimacy so much more. College and before, it's just such a natural part of life that you get to know people so well that you become such close friends with them. And then you enter the work world and things change. You have your own life. You have stuff going on. And it can be kind of harder to maintain those platonic relationships. But every time I get back together with my platonic friends, it is so wonderful. It's just like a great experience. And it's just like wonderful to have that bond with somebody. I definitely agree, Sammy. And most people have relationships with people that are platonic, that are really valuable, whether or not the romantic one is the main relationship. I think platonic relationships are super important, not just because you're super closely bonded with somebody, but I think when you have that super close platonic bond with somebody, it allows you to be more independent in your life outside of your relationship with that person. Like, for example, Michelle and I, sisters, friends, we have a lot of platonic intimacy. And I do feel like because I have that relationship in my life, I can be pretty independent outside of our friendship because I just feel confident. Like, I know that I always have someone to talk to. I know that there's someone who's always going to be there for me. And I feel that security that I need to explore and do exciting things in my life. That reminds me, Sammy, of when we read Attach, Mm. and they talk about the codependency paradox and how people actually think that it's bad to be dependent on other people. But in reality, to be able to have a relationship where you can be close and dependent to someone else gives you the space to actually be more independent because you have more security and you're more open to going out and taking risks and doing things. That's right, Michelle. And not every friendship is going to be as close to you as like your main person or your main few people. And that's perfectly okay. All of those friendships are still valid and all of those friendships are still really important. I totally agree, Sammy. I was reading this article in The Atlantic, You Can Only Maintain So Many Close Friendships, which is an interview with Robin Dunbar. Dunbar came up with the Dunbar number, which basically says that you can only have 150 close relationships. And what this article really does is actually looks into that more deeply. And what Dunbar found with further research was that it's actually more like concentric circles, where the most intimate relationship you have is for one 1.5 people. And then the circle outside of that is your close friends, five people, and then 15 friends, you're still good friends. And it moves out from there with closeness in factors of three. And I thought this was really, really interesting and helpful to look at, especially when you start thinking about your platonic relationships and the people in your life. I agree, Michelle. This really 
helped me understand why I can't be as close to all my friends as I am to you. Because the truth is, ain't nobody got time for that. We like to think of that one or 1.5, really one to two person circle, that like first concentric circle, as your most intimate relationship. For a lot of people, that might be their romantic partner. For me, that person is Michelle. And we were describing it, that's the person that you meal plan with. Like, that's the person that your life is kind of integrated with in a deep way. They're the ones you call first if something happens. They're the one who, if they had a breakup, they'd be sleeping on your bed every single day. Or if something bad happened to them, you would be over at their place for sure. Because they are your most close relationship. Exactly, Sammy. And I think it's important to have this perspective because we do have different relationships in our lives. And there are some people where it's like you don't get back to them right away. You do love them, but they're not somebody you're always in communication with. And then there are other people in other relationships where there is a little bit more of this dependency. Children are a good example. Children depend on their parent and need them to be there to support them. And there's a little bit of that in this as well. And another good point that Dunbar brings up is that introverts may have less people in their circles and extroverts may have more people, which I think is a good reflection of social demand. Like, I would not want more than like one or two people in my intimate circle for sure. Versus somebody else may want to feel connected to more people than that. And they may really enjoy that. Yes, Amy. And that's especially true when you go on to the next layers. So the layer of on average five people, he describes as your shoulder to cry on friends. And then your 15-person layer is your core social partners. So people, the example he gives is that you would exchange childcare, people that you would trust enough to have your kids and still close relationships with. The next layer is 50, your big, which he calls your big weekend barbecue people. And then after that is like 150, which is like your weddings, funerals, once in a lifetime group of people. As an Indian person looking at this circle, something wasn't adding up. And that's when I realized that maybe for Indian people, the circle's a little different. Like for me, circle number one is me and Michelle. For a lot of people, I think that would be them and their romantic partner. Circle number two is my parents. Mommy and daddy. They get their own circle. Mommy and daddy get their own circle because that's another level of attachment. And there's not like three other people sitting in that circle. Okay, people? <laughs> And I also think that if you are any way related to me, anywhere you are in that circle, let's say something was going on, they immediately come into like my second circle. Like Michelle and I were talking and we were like, if my mom was like, you know, your cousin Priya has a son. Oh, he's coming to the United States and I need him to stay with you for one month and he'll be there tomorrow. We'd be like, what the heck? But like at the same time, we're like cleaning the house and we're <laughs> like, oh the my bed. God. <laughs> And they're coming and that's a, like, there's no questions asked, you know, you're, when you're like, I feel like as an Indian person, like your family is huge, but they are also your people and they're also all up in your circles. A hundred percent, Tammy. Like all of these numbers could fully just get superseded by family, <laughs> which is like the people I'm close to in the family, the family that's in the United States, the family that's in the world. Like there are so many different aspects of it. And maybe this speaks to something about boundaries as well, but <laughs> that just, you know, we grow up in a culture that's very community-based, and I do feel very strongly in my heart that if somebody in my family needs something, 
there is a lot of things that I would do that I wouldn't do necessarily for my friends who I love and I do want to support. But people who I haven't spoken to, like, hey, if I got to if I got to help out somehow or you need a bed to sleep in, I it's just that's just how it is. That's just like the culture that we were grown up in. And even Dunbar says people who have big families have less friends. And I want to ask him, like, what if you have a ginormous family? Like, we probably have like 200 blood relatives at least. I mean, that's actually way underestimating. But yeah. Blood like, relatives? Ha- <laughs> blood, if we're, if we're just talking about people who we can connect back to blood, like, that's like an impossible number, I think. <laughs> it's just too many. And yeah. And Dumbrest, right. You know, you got a big family, you have less friends because you have less bandwidth for friends. I've noticed this too, Sammy, with other people I know, like sometimes I have people that I've met that I really like. And even though I feel very close to them, I can tell that it's hard for us to be close because they have a big family or they're Mm. very close to people from their youth. And so understanding this really helped me understand my place in somebody's life. Like if somebody grew up with a lot of cousins or they grew up with a lot of brothers and sisters. It makes sense that those people are going to take priority over you. And it, mm-hmm. it doesn't actually have anything to do with the fact that you're family or things like that. Like, even though we do say, you know, oh, we're Indian, we take care of our family. But what it really has more to do is like the time that you've invested in these people. Like if you've grown up with people, if you've spent so much time with them, you got to know them. Obviously, you're going to have closer relationships with those people than somebody who maybe you met a year ago that you like but you haven't developed as much of a friendship with them. Which, Michelle, brings us to another good point that Dunbar talks about. And that is that it can take 200 hours of investment in the space of a few months to move a stranger into being a good friend. That's insane. It's insane. And when I think about that, it makes sense how, it makes sense why we don't make friends the same way we did when we were younger. And it's because like, realistically, we just don't have 200 hours worth of time over the course of a few months to be really bringing in another person. I feel like that's true for me. And I'm, I'm just like a single girl working over here. Imagine you have a family of kids, it becomes even harder. Yeah, I totally agree, Sammy. And that all being said, I think looking back and like reflecting on my relationships, this is also really a really helpful perspective to have. Because I do have so many people in my life that I love and I feel like I have platonic intimacy with. I have a really good relationship with them. But when I think about it in these concentric circles, I feel a little bit better that not, that not every single person is my best friend or that our friendship manifests itself differently, even though I do care about those people a lot. I completely agree, Michelle. And I think for me, a lot of it is about trying to maintain those people that I want to keep in my close friend zones which is not easy to do as an adult, especially me. I'm like the worst texter in the world. Like, I mean, I don't have my text notifications on. The other day, my mom had had like some emergency texts come through, which I have not seen before. Our mom had an issue with her phone where it froze and it sent the emergency SOS text to all of her emergency contacts, which is me, Sammy, my dad, or one of her friends. And everybody reached out to her except Sammy. Yeah, because I just don't have notifications on. And she's like, what if I was dying? And I was like, you know, I really feel like this SOS thing should bypass my no notifications (laughs) thing. (laughs) But yeah, terrible texter. But I do really find that like, yes, phone calls, but even just like planning trips with my friends, it's a good way for us to get together and get to talk to each other and actually get to like 
in real life connect with each other, even if we don't get to see each other all the time. I totally agree with that, Sammy. And I think there are ways that you can build your relationships with your close friends or people in your life that you do want to maintain and grow your platonically intimate relationship. I think one of the big things is it's really important to stay open and be emotionally vulnerable with the people that are important to you in your life. And the reason I say that and something that I struggle with all the time is because when you you yourself are open and vulnerable, it allows the people in your life to be open and vulnerable too. I mean, hey, if you don't care about anybody else's problems, I'm not saying you have to do it. But I'm saying that if you are wondering like, hey, I want to take my relationship a little bit deeper with this person, I want to get to know them better, know that it's a two-way street. Like I really think that the best relationships that are being built, it's both people sharing and understanding each other. That's so true, Michelle. I do think that being vulnerable, which is just like, you know, being open about what's going on in your life and yourself, I think that can make it really a lot easier for other people to be vulnerable and to have like honest and authentic conversations about what's going on. That can allow a friendship to become closer. I think one thing about work friends and stuff is we all, you know, of course, are professional at work. And that, of course, makes it a little bit harder to get closer to your work friends in a good way because you don't want to be sharing all your information at work. But it can make it harder to get closer to work friends or friends that are in a professional setting just because you do, out of respect, maintain a boundary with those types of people. I totally agree with that, Sammy. I often find that a lot of times after I leave my job or someone leaves our work, we end up getting a little bit closer because that professional boundary has shifted to more of a friendship one. And there are more appropriate things we can talk about. As much as I love my coworkers, nobody likes that person who walks in and just dumps their problems on you. And you're like, yeah, we got to go take that call now. <laughs> or overshares and you're like, um, yeah, you're talking kind of loud. And this is really imp- unprofessional. <laughs> this is an open workspace. <laughs> and you know what helps me is remembering my friend's birthdays. That is a good way to text your friend, check on them, see how they're doing. And I love when people do the same thing to me. Because it's just, even if I, if it's my birthday and I only get a text him like a few days later, and you know how I am with texting, <laughs> it's a few, it's a good way to kind of touch base again and check and see how someone's doing. I totally agree with that, Sammy. Other people say they don't care, but I love like people who pop back in and remember my birthday and we have a little quick exchange and say like, hey, thinking about you. There are some people who have remembered my birthday and I haven't seen them in years. And then when we see each other again, I feel so close to them because I'm like, hey, we've at least had this touch base. I also will say that like anytime I see something that reminds me of somebody that I'm close to, like if I have a Google photo that comes up that reminds me of my friends, a song that we used to listen to, I don't know, like a place that we used to go, I will just drop it in. Even if I haven't talked to that person for a while, I love to be like, hey, like I'm thinking about you, remembering all the good times we had doing XYZ. And It's simple. I don't necessarily expect a lot from that other person, but I think it's a nice way to be able to just like stay in touch and let somebody know that you are thinking about them and that you do care about them. Totally. Like, oh, I was just sitting at Cold Stone today and thinking about all those times we used to go to Cold Stone Creamery together. I don't eat sugar anymore, but how are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) You fun. (laughs) By the way, I've eliminated all fun from my life. (laughs) I don't participate in those kind of hedonistic activities anymore, but 
what's up with you? <laughs> this might be an extreme example, Sammy, but I feel like you've done this before. And I had a close friend do this where they actually kept a spreadsheet of their friends and tracked when they last contacted them and then would make a note to reach back out to them just to make sure that they were able to maintain their relationships, which I personally don't think I'd be able to keep that up. Or it would be nice if there was an app that did that. Honestly, there needs to be an app. Somebody that's not us, go build it. I would love something that's like, hey, it's Tuesday. You haven't talked to so-and-so. You haven't texted Sammy in a while. But it is actually a smart way, especially if you want to have a larger Dunbar number than 5 or 15, then that's a really great way to stay in touch with people and just say, hey. But I will say, I think sometimes people think it's weird to just like all of a sudden drop in and be like, hey, how are you? And I do it all the time. And I don't know. I don't think anyone has an issue with it. And if they do, we probably won't stay friends. <laughs> it's true, Michelle. I did keep a list, not a spreadsheet that was somebody else. Sammy doesn't believe in spreadsheets. No, I, I do. I love spreadsheets, but I just, for this, it wasn't that extreme. I will say that my method did become ineffective after a while. So if someone creates an app, that would be great. But yes, I think keeping a way to kind of help you keep track of your friends, it is actually reasonable. It seems very utilitarian, but sometimes we have to do utilitarian things to build love in our lives. 100%, Sammy. And I think also understand that you might have different degrees of touch points with different people in your life. Like I said, like Sammy and I are very close. We're sisters. We live together. Like it's very important that I can depend on her and know that she'll be available if I need her for something. For somebody that's like a good friend of mine that doesn't live in the same area that I don't talk to that frequently, I'm not going to freak out if I don't hear back from them right away, if I don't get a text back right away, because we have a different type of relationship and a different level of intimacy that we're still close, but it's not, I don't have to have that codependence. So takeaways for this episode. One, platonic intimacy is so fun and so important. I know my platonic relationships, literally like they're my most favorite things. I love just like snuggling up with my friends and talking to them. I've done that all my life and I could do that forever. Like I think it's just one of the most fun things about being a human is being able to connect with other humans. I totally agree, Sammy. Maybe a good exercise is to reflect on who your close friends are and see like who are the people that are your one or two intimate, really close partners? Who's more on the close friends tier? And who are those people that you trust them? You would leave your child with them and so on and so forth. I think it helps to see because sometimes you're like, actually, I have a ton of friends and I'm like tiring myself out trying to maintain all these relationships. Or you might be like, hey, actually, I really care about this person. And I haven't reached out to them recently, and I should go and drop them a text or a call because I would love to reconnect. Yes. And if you are an Indian person or maybe another minority and you're feeling bad that it's hard for you to always keep in touch with your friends, maybe acknowledge that you have a giant family and that giant family has a lot of needs. And so sometimes it can be hard to also maintain a lot of friendships when you also have a large family. Yeah, Sammy, I think it's totally normal and it's Makes you breathe a little bit easier when you can be like, yeah, I got a large chaotic Indian family. I, my bandwidth is being spent already. Let us know what you guys think. If you have any tips for keeping in touch with your friends, different tools you use, apps, or just little things that you do that help to show your friends that you care, share with us. We'd love to know. We'll definitely share the ones that we get. And you know how to reach us. And if you got some close friends, send them status post adulting. Mm -hmm. Nothing says 
hey, I love you. Here's a great podcast with two beautiful people. You know, I will say, not even trying to plug us, but talking about podcasts in general with my friends is a common way that I connect with them. And sorry to all my friends who I'm always sending podcasts to. I'm obsessed with them. And also, having this podcast has made it so much easier for me to connect with a lot of my friends because a lot of people who listen to the podcast will text or message or call me talking about the podcast. So it's nice to just already have like a little jumping ground for our conversation or a little reminder of what's going on. Great point, Sammy. If you want to really knock out that Dunbar number, start a podcast. People mm. can keep in touch with you. So they true. know what things you're interested in. They can text you randomly and they have an excuse. It's honestly amazing. I love when people reach out to me about the podcast and I wish all my friends had podcasts because it would be easy to keep in touch with everybody. And most importantly, be sure to join us next time as we put down the rule book and rethink the status quo.